The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Good to have you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday that we gather is Resurrection Sunday. That's why we gather on the first day of the week each week to join together and to proclaim our Lord and Savior risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. If you're our guest this morning, we are honored that that you'd be with us and uh, join us in worship. Our uh, practice here at Christ Central, which has been now for the last uh, 13 years or so, is to uh, work verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so we have been um, now for uh, a number of months in uh, Hebrews, a number of months in Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and uh, chapter 4. And so that's where we'll be this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you join me in Hebrews chapter 4? This morning we're going to bring to completion um, the thought that we've been working through. It's this, this is flowed out of, in and out of chapter 3 into chapter 4. These, these uh, chapter numbers and, and uh, verse numbers are, are artificial. They were, they were given to us just to help our um, ability to navigate God's Word. This is, this is a letter, and so there's a, there's a continuous flow of thought, a continuous flow of, of argument. And so um, that, that's, that's, that's part of the reason why it's, we, we feel that it's important to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, um, because that's, that's the way they were intended um, to be read and, and, understand, and understood. And so this morning, we're, we're bringing to a, a completion a thought that we've been working through. Now, I realize that there are many of you this morning who are here with us who have not been with us over the last number of months. Um, so I, I would like to catch you up just a, a little bit with, with where we are. The letter to the, to the Hebrews was written to encourage Jewish believers, Hebrews, um, to, to not fall away from the gospel. So these are, these are, are Jews by birth, who have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who have put their faith in Him, but who are now in danger because of a number of things, in danger of falling away from the gospel into, uh, and for them, back into this system of uh, Judaism, which, which is no good news, a system of, of law-keeping and uh, righteousness through your, your works. The illustration that the writer of Hebrews has used is is one that a a Jew would be very familiar with. And it was the the story of the Hebrew people in the Exodus. Years in bondage in Egypt, freed by the power of God through miraculous works, Across the sea, Pharaoh's army destroyed, 
Now, 40 years in a wilderness going towards this promised land that God had promised Abraham that he would give to his offspring. But in the wilderness, what history shows us, what God's Word shows us, what the Hebrew people would have been well aware of, is the Israelites' continual rejection of the promises of God, continually questioning God, continually grumbling, continually coming to Moses and saying, Moses, why have you brought us here to die? It would have been better to stay in Egypt than it is to to come out here and hunger to death or thirst to death. Oh, that we would turn around over and over and over again. And this story of the Exodus culminates in the vast majority of the Israelites dying in the wilderness, never entering into the promised land, never entering into what is described in the Scriptures as rest, as rest. The promised land in the Exodus story is a place of rest. And the point of this text in Hebrews chapter 4 is that there is still a rest that remains. Indeed, it is a better rest. And so make every effort. Be diligent and fearful that you might enter it. Look with me, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. That was our text last week. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of their disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today. Saying through David, so long afterward... In the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested 
from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There is a better rest. This is the theme of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's the better revelation, chapter 1. He's the better than all the angels, chapter 2. He's better than Moses, chapter 3. And he is the better rest, chapter 4. And to drive this point home, the writer of Hebrews is overlapping these rests that have been seen in God's word throughout history. You can sort of feel the, the chronology that the writer of Hebrews gives here, though the writer of Hebrews doesn't do it in order. But he talks of a Sabbath rest. He talks of a promised land rest. He talks of a rest promised through David. He talks of a rest available today. He talks of a rest that is to come. So these overlapping rests in in this text to, to show us, to prove to us, to prove to these Hebrews readers that there's a better rest. There's a better rest in Jesus Christ. This morning from the text, let's look together and I want us to see three things. A rest that was. A rest that waits. And a rest that works. A rest that was, a rest that waits, and a rest that works. He begins with this rest that was. And primarily these verses in chapter 4 and back into chapter 3 are dealing with the rest that was the promised land of Canaan after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. This was the place, this was a place described as flowing with milk and honey. A bountiful land, the land that God had promised to Abraham as an inheritance to his offspring. This promised land that the Israelites were journeying through the wilderness for 40 years towards is described as rest. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 19. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. God will give you rest when you enter into this inheritance. And as the Hebrews' time in the wilderness draws to a a close, and spies are sent out into this promised land, this is what is described in Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 23. And they came to the valley of Eskal and cut down from there a branch 
with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between the two of them. Now that is some big honking grapes. I mean, one cluster had to be carried on a pole between two people. And they also brought some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the Valley of Eschol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land and they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. This land that God had promised that for them represented a rest was a great Land. It was a bountiful land. It was a fruitful land. It's flowing with milk and honey. This is, this is put up against the wilderness. What was the problem in the wilderness? The problem in the wilderness is we're, we're starving to death out here. There's no food out here. So God gives them bread. And I complain about the bread. There's no water out here. We're dying out here. There's a place, there's a land, there's a promise, there's a rest that waits for you that is bountiful, that's just flowing with milk and honey. You don't even have to work for it. It's just flowing there. But the vast majority of the Hebrew, Hebrew people did not enter it. No, They heard the report, the land is wonderful. This this place described as rest is, is great, but the people there are tall. And so we're scared. Why would we leave Egypt and come here to this place just to be killed by these tall people? And so because of their hard-heartedness because of their lack of faith, they did not enter. Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 21. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers, says the Lord. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. These Hebrew people wandering in the wilderness died. Died. So the writer of Hebrews is saying this is one of the rests. This promised land is one of the rests of God that they failed to to reach. They failed to reach because of their unbelief. So don't be like them. But what the writer of Hebrews is trying to show us is that this isn't the only rest. This isn't the only rest. As a matter of fact, this wasn't the real rest at all. Because if it was the real rest, the real substantive 
rest of God that he promised, if it was, then David, thousands of years later, wouldn't have spoke of today. Don't harden your hearts so that you may enter his rest. That's his argument. David has said, Psalm 95, David has said, today, don't be like those in the wilderness and harden your hearts and fail to enter his rest. If there wasn't another rest, then David, thousands of years later, would not have said that. He's arguing from the Hebrews' scriptures to the Hebrews. Here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, that there is a rest of God that is still available. It wasn't just this rest that Joshua and Caleb entered into. Verse 7 in chapter 4, again, He appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterwards, thousands of years later, in words already quoted, because he quoted, he already mentioned them in chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Why does this matter to the Hebrew people? Why does this matter to you? Why does this matter to me? Why does this story, all these generations and thousands and thousands of years ago matter? Why does it matter? Because there's still a rest. There's still a promised rest of God. There is a rest that remains. And it is a rest that in some way has to do with the Sabbath rest of God on the seventh day of creation. This is another one of the, the rests that the writer of Hebrews layers on. Verse 3. For we who have believed have entered that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has, spoke, has somewhere spoken... Some people read that and they go, this guy didn't even know Genesis. Like he didn't even know where it was said, you know. That seems weird to us where he has somewhere spoken. You know why it's said that way? Because there, there were no chapter and verses. Well, the writer of Hebrews can't say in Genesis chapter 2 verse 13, he said he rested. It, it's not there. So it's, it's right to say he said, he has said this somewhere. He has said of the seventh day somewhere, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again, in this passage, He said, they shall not enter my rest. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that there is a rest of God that remains that is better than this rest of Canaan in the promised land. And it has to do in some way with the rest that God did on the seventh day. You see that? There's a rest that remains and it's a Sabbath rest. At creation, God completed His task, spoke all things into existence, 
said, Behold, it is good. And then he rested. He did not rest because he was tired. He did not rest because he needed a break. Richard Phillips says it this way. When we say that God rested, we do not mean that He went on a vacation or removed Himself totally from our world. The picture is rather that after having made and ordered and subdued the creation according to His desired plan, that His control was so absolute, His sovereignty so unquestioned, that God enthroned Himself without effective opposition. And His reign is one of rest, of absolute sovereignty and supremacy. That when God rested on the seventh day, He sat on His throne and said, Behold, I am the God of all things. And His rule and His reign was so absolute that He rested. And in resting on the seventh day, in the Sabbath, God was weaving into the tapestry of creation the pattern of working and then resting. But rest, a Sabbath rest, is a rest with Him to enjoy Him and His good pleasures, His rule and His reign, His blessings, on His people. He formed Adam and Eve and He put them there in the garden. And He set for them a pattern of work and rest. But it wasn't just a kick back, kick your feet up, enjoy it. You know, we're going to go hang out by the, the river that runs through the garden and we're going to, you know, just, just chill. No, it was to work and then to enjoy the very presence of God with them. His blessings, His good pleasures, His rule, and His reign. That was the pattern instituted by God. There are two rests that were. The Sabbath rest at creation that was lost. At the fall, this kind of rest was removed. This kind of rest, a rest that enjoys the very presence of God, His rule and His reign and His provision, a rest that abides in Him, that was removed. Adam and Eve no longer could enter that rest because of their sin. But God in His mercy and in His grace chose for Himself a people to bring them into another garden-esque land. That's what, that's what God is doing in Canaan. He's bringing His people back into a garden. Kicked out of a garden because of sin. 
into bondage because of sin, freed from the bondage of sin or Egypt, into a new garden where they can rest and enjoy His presence. A land to receive His blessings and His care. But they could not enter it, could they? Why could they not enter it? Because of their sin. Because of their sin, they, just like Adam and Eve, died in the wilderness outside the rest of God. But because this promised land rest of Canaan was a shadow of the real Sabbath rest that God is remaking in Jesus Christ, that means that there is a rest that waits. And it waits for us. There is a rest that was, a a promised land rest that they failed to enter because of their sin, a Sabbath rest that was removed from them because of their sin. But now, in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is remaking all things because there is still, because of His grace, because of His mercy, because of His good pleasure, there is still a rest that waits. And it's a better rest. It's an eternal rest. It's an everlasting rest that is secured for us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, through the gospel, through the good news that Christ has come and that Christ has lived a perfect life that we could not live and He has died and on Him the sin of the world was placed that through Him all who put their faith in Him have their sins forgiven and righteousness granted can now live forever in the good pleasure of God, in the eternal Sabbath rest. That's the the good news, that in Christ Jesus and through the gospel, God is recreating. He's making a new humanity. He's taking sinful people with hardened hearts, just as rebellious as the Israelites, and He's causing them to be born again. He's making them new creations who now, because the judgment of sin is taken away, now in Christ Jesus, they can enter into his rest. You see, God created a garden, a place of rest. God offered a promised land, a garden-esque place of rest. And we failed to stay or to enter. But in Christ Jesus, He is forming a new humanity. And He is creating a new garden, a new earth. So that all who by faith come to Him can eternally rest with Him. Enjoying Him His good pleasures, His rule, His reign, His blessings on His people for all eternity. What God offers in Christ Jesus 
is the same benefit to our souls that God offered to Israel in the promised land. Bountiful provision. Complete security. The language used by Moses from the promised land are directly applied to what we receive from Christ through faith as spiritual blessings. Fulfillment, blessing, rest. They are now ours in Christ Jesus and they will be ours when the rest that waits becomes sight. There is a better rest that remains in Christ Jesus. That's the writer's point. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Spiritually, our strivings to earn redemption cease. And the world is is full of people who are trying their best to be as good as they possibly can be in an attempt to do enough to earn redemption, to do enough to earn a place in God's rest. But sin condemns. Sin condemns. But in Christ Jesus, God offers a Sabbath rest. And in that rest, we cease from our works of righteousness, trusting in Christ's work on the cross. But that does not mean that our work stops. It's not a work to earn righteousness. But it is a work for the glory of God because there is a rest that was, there's a rest that waits, but there is also a rest that works. Look at at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that Rest. Let us strive to enter that rest. You feel, I'm sure, the tension here. For whoever, verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us work to enter that rest. There's tension here. This is some, some juxtaposition. Let us work, let us strive to enter the rest where we cease from working. Now, let's work through that for just a second. 
What the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 3 is that by faith, we right now, if we put our faith in Jesus, we have right now entered this rest. You can see it in verse 3. For we who have believed entered that rest. Past tense. For we who have believed have already entered into the better rest. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's a rest that we already have. But we also have yet to enter the promised rest of heaven, right? This is the tension that is found all in the scriptures that we just got to cozy up to and be okay with. It is the tension of the already and the not yet. That we are already at rest, but we are not yet at rest. We have ceased from our works but we must get to work. We've ceased from our works to think that our good works earn a right standing before God. That kind of work, that kind of heavy burden that is unbearable and unsustainable and that you can never achieve, that kind of work, it's over. And in its place is Sabbath rest. But there is yet a rest to come. And before I enter that rest, I have to get to work. We rest from our work to earn redemption. We get to work working out our redemption. Our faith secures our rest. It brings us to rest. Yet our faith isn't passive. Our faith is active. It moves us to keep on working. Take Christ, for example. On the cross, Christ says, It is finished. His work was finished. His work of Redemption was finished. His work of reconciliation, finished. His work of satisfying the wrath of God, finished. And so, he said, it is finished, and he rested from his work. Yet, he was raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And after his ascension, he was seated at the right hand of God, resting there in God's presence, enjoying him, ruling and reigning with him for all of eternity. But he is still at work, even now. Christ, who is at rest, is still at work, interceding, praying, building his church, preparing a place for us. Take the Hebrew people. They had a promised land, a place described as rest, but they had to work to take it. They had to work to keep it. You see, real, genuine faith rests 
on the finished work of Christ and works for His good pleasure and His glory. Here's the change. Our work goes from futile, trying to earn redemption but never getting it. That's a futile work. It goes from futile to fruitful. I don't work for it. I work because of it. Real, genuine faith works. It strives. It works to enter that rest. This is the undeniable teachings of the New Testament. Jane, or Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Ephesians chapter 4. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirits of your mind. And to put on the new self created after the image and the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Is that, is that passive? Is that I hear the gospel, I walk an aisle, I say a prayer, I do that work and then I'm done? Is that, is that the Christian life? Is that the description that Paul offers here? To take off the old self and to put on the new self? No, faith is not passive. Faith is active. James chapter 1, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What is the example of the Hebrews in the wilderness? They heard the good news. Yet they never believed. They never trusted. They never acted on it. And here's my fear. My fear is is that this day, above all others, that this day, there is an untold number of people who will fill a pew and think that they will enter the rest of God because they walked an aisle and they said a prayer. But in them, there is no ever-present working of the Spirit. From them, through them, there is no outworking of their faith. They have been, for their whole lives, merely hearers of the Word and have deceived themselves because they've never done the Word. There, this is where we've been. This is, it's hard when you just fly into one, one passage of Scripture. This is where we've been for weeks now. This is the difference 
between professing Christ and partaking of Christ. That real, genuine, saving faith shows itself, it proves itself through works. It does. Your works don't earn it, but they prove it. And if there is no desire in you to honor the Lord and to walk with Him and to take off the old self and to put on the new self and to put to death the desires of the flesh, to join together with the people of God every resurrection day and to worship with them and to encourage them and to hear the Word of God preached and to go and live out the Word of God, if that doesn't dwell in you, if that's not working its way out of you, then i got to question what happened when you walked an aisle and said a prayer. Because that kind of Christianity that trusts in that is not found anywhere in here. Nowhere. Real, saving, genuine faith works. It strives to enter the rest because we already have it in Christ Jesus. But it's not yet fulfilled because it waits for us. Don't be like the Israelites. Don't merely be hearers of the word. Never uniting what you hear with the real faith that moves you to work. There is a Sabbath rest that waits. A rest where you can enjoy the eternal presence of a good God. A rest where you can rule and reign with Him. A rest where He is undeniably sovereign and in control and His blessings flow out of a new garden to His people for all of eternity. There is a rest that waits. And that rest can be yours right now in Jesus Christ because He did the work that you could never do and He now has entered the rest and is preparing a place for you, for all who by faith come to Him. It is received through faith. But it's a faith that's active. It's a faith that works. There's a rest that works. There's a rest that works. What's the writer of Hebrews telling us? The writer of Hebrews is telling us, dear child, have faith and rest. Have faith and rest. Rest from your strivings to earn redemption. Have faith and rest and say, in Christ Jesus, I'm declared righteous. Have faith and rest. But have faith and get to work. Because there is a better rest in Christ Jesus. Father, would you help us live in the tension of the already and the not yet. My soul is at rest. My soul is at rest because I put my hope, my trust in God alone, in Christ alone, for salvation alone. My strivings to earn 
have ceased. My soul is at rest. But while there remains a Sabbath rest that we have yet to enter, may we be busy at work for your glory, for your good pleasure, for your renown, for the world to hear of the rest that is only found in a risen Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.